Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 14th. There are three things I want to focus on here on today's show. Two of them are singles results. We saw unfold in today's ATP Tour Finals action. The result of the day belongs to Andre Rublev, who earned a much-needed three-set victory over Daniil Medvedev to kick off his 2022 Tour Finals campaign. Now, you look for Andre Rublev. We'll get into the specific stats of the match later on, but more generally, he had lost eight of his last nine matches where he had dropped the first set, and to see Rublev earn seven set points in the first set, earn a 5-2 lead, ultimately to see that lead evaporate, how many times have we seen Andre Rublev, for lack of a better term, combust in those situations? He did not. Andre Rublev not only sustained his level sustained his focus. He sustained a degree of physicality. I wasn't quite certain. Certainly, it seemed like Daniil Medvedev was not certain that Rublev possessed. And even in the third set, when he saw his first four match points go astray, he managed to maintain that focus, maintain that high base level rally in, rally out, shot in, shout out. That is the sort of development if Rublev can sustain heading into 2023, maybe there is another level for him to get to in a game that does feel like maybe it's reached his ceiling. Now that ceiling's very good. Again, this is the discussion I suppose we can have later on in the show, but Rublev was exceptional today. On the flip side of that match, there were some things that went wrong for Daniil Medvedev, some things he has to correct if he wants to regain I don't want to say an aura of invincibility because he wasn't on Djokovic levels of aura of invincibility in terms of his hardcourt success, but certainly from the end of 2019 through the start really of this season, again, cloak of invincibility is too extreme. But certainly, Daniil Medvedev was one of, if not the guys outside of the Djokovic category. He probably was the guy to beat on hard courts. And here in the home stretch of 2022, that has just not been the case. And I think there are reasons as to why. I don't want to say he struggled, but he hasn't been the guy here in these final four months of the season. So plenty of meat on the bone in that Rublev-Medvedev match. We'll get into it. I'll get into it, I should say, as it's just going to be me today here on this show, of course. I didn't forget about Novak Djokovic, who earns, I don't want to say a a routine, but certainly a definitive, what was it, 6-4, 7-6 victory over Tsitsipas in his first match at the Tour Finals. And look, there was only one break of serve in the match. It happened in Tsitsipas's very first service game. Not a ton of action in that match. Still, there are reasons, A, to continue to heap praise on Novak Djokovic. Some of the things he does, you're just like, how old are you? How good are you at this sport? Why are we even playing? If you're at this level, can't we just give you the trophy now? On the flip side, I tweeted out my thoughts of why I am going to keep Tsitsipas in Tier 1 moving forward. Now, Gil Gross and I get into the debate of what tiers are and how I define them all of the time. You heard that on a mini break last week. But I want to explain why I was actually encouraged by this loss by Tsitsipas. Yes, it was definitive, but there were some things Tsitsipas 
throughout the course of this post-U.S. Open stretch has continued to do well that you just have to remember his age. You have to remember this probably isn't his ceiling as a player, and that's a discussion I want to get into once again here on today's show. But some things certainly for us to pontificate about coming out of that Djokovic-Sitsipas match, and we'll do exactly that here on today's show. And then third thing I want to focus on, last but certainly not least, is a really fun challenger happening this week in Champaign. In fact, I am going to get my butt up early tomorrow morning. I'm going to hop on the bike so that I look slim, dare I say, and then I'm going to head over to Champaign tomorrow to check out some of the action in what is essentially the final, I mean, not essentially, it is the final, I believe, USTA Pro Circuit Challenger of the 2022 season. Now, is there late season action in Columbus or some new challenger maybe I'm missing? It's very possible, but, you know, you look at the draw this week in Champaign, the story of the last two weeks, or one of them, has certainly been the rise of Ben Shelton, who with a good week this week can make his top 100 debut. And Shelton's the fourth seed in Champaign. He's taking on a very talented, I don't know if he's a redshirt freshman or sophomore by eligibility, but Carlos Ozalens, if you haven't seen him play, the lefty hits big. We're on indoor hard courts in Champaign. Ben's played a lot of tennis the last two weeks. That's going to be a fun match tomorrow. Certainly, you look at top seed Dennis Kudla, second seed Stevie Johnson. We know what they've meant to American men's tennis over the past decade. Chris Eubanks coming off of back-to-back finals. He's the third seed. Jerry Shang, the talented young lefty in action. I hope you can all understand my desire to attend that event and discuss it here on today's show. So guess what? I get to set the agenda. That's what we're going to do. Those are the three things. Rublev Medvedev, Djokovic Tsitsipas, a look at the Champagne Challenger draw. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends over at Tennis Point. And look, if you're ready to update your equipment, whether it be a clothing thing, a shoe thing, maybe you want to try a different racket, maybe you just don't love your strings anymore, we're all our friends at Tennis Point, they've got you covered. All the best equipment, all the lowest prices, all in one location. Go to tennis-point.com today. When you inevitably do make a purchase, make sure you use our promo code CR15. Not only will it let them know we sent you there, but you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into Monday's action at the ATP Tour Finals. And again, the place we have to start, Andre Rublev's three-set victory over Daniil Medvedev. You look in the end for Rublev, he ultimately earns a 6-7, 6-3, 7-6 victory. But of course, we have to unpack that scoreline because it is very, very misleading. Simply put, Andre Rublev won this match seven different times. He was definitively, even in the third set when Medvedev was keeping pace with Rublev on serve and neither guy gets broken in that third set, Rublev was the better player from start to finish here today. And most indicative of that fact is the fact that he built a 5-2 lead in set number one. Now, Medvedev holds for 5-3, but you know Rublev then blinks for the first time in the match. And what Rublev did so well in those first seven, eight games of the match was just 
forced Daniil Medvedev to create some sort of offense. Now, for Medvedev in this match, from start to finish, he had success on the first serve. And ultimately, he wins 24 of 30 first serve points for the match. Goes uh, for, now that number seems, no, no, in set number one, excuse me, he goes 24 of 30 on first set points. When he could land a first serve, he had seven aces in that opening set as well. When he landed that first serve, he was able to generate some easy offense or hit a serve that was unreturnable by Andre Rublev. Now, as the match progressed, you know, what Rublev did a very good job of doing, and I thought he did a good job in set number one as well, especially early on, is just get that return in play and force Daniil Medvedev to have to come up with some sort of, again, approach shot or some sort of definitive volley move forward, some sort of aggressive motion that Medvedev was not comfortable doing. And you look ultimately at the stats of this match, Daniil Medvedev, 44 winners overall, but he hit 24 aces. So I think that's very misleading. He hit 20 ground stroke winners overall in the match to Rublev's 25, you know, 20, 25 to 20 advantage Rublev, Rublev nine aces on the day. The big thing for me that I noticed in this match and to, you know, again, 5-3 first set, Rublev doesn't get to break, uh, doesn't get to set point in his service game, plays a very tentative game, has a high backhand volley at 30-40 that he kind of shanks and Medvedev then passes him with the backhand down the line on the break point and that point sort of indicative of the tentativeness Rublev played that game with. He then had set points with Medvedev serving 5-6, but Medvedev again was able to come up with big first serves and ultimately either hit unreturnable serves or just had such an easy plus one first strike that, you know, dare I say, you and I, the listener, could have put that ball away if we were capable of hitting that serve. Um, But look, again, Rublev races out to a 6-2 lead in that first set breaker, gets a little tentative on a couple of forehands. Medvedev hits a couple of good first serves. All of a sudden, it's 6-all. All of a sudden, Medvedev's passing Rublev and not producing an unforced error. Rublev gets a little bit tentative, and all of a sudden, Daniil Medvedev steals the first set 7-6. Now, again... Rublev had lost eight of his last nine matches where he had dropped the first set. His only win since the French Open in a match where he had dropped the first set was against Fabio Fognini in the round of 32 in Cincinnati. But what did Rublev do? He sustained his focus. He continued to attack the Daniil Medvedev forehand. That was the big thing from this match, was Rublev's ability to park the bus on that Medvedev forehand corner. And just whether it was, it was Nadal-esque in Rublev, uh, in, excuse me, Rublev's willingness to take his backhand down the line and just force Daniil Medvedev to hit the ground stroke that he didn't want to hit. You know, how many times have we seen Nadal do that to Federer where Nadal's just going backhand up the line, really to anyone, backhand up the line, backhand up the line, forcing you to challenge his forehand. That's what Rublev continued to do to Daniil Medvedev. And again, while Medvedev hit 44 winners, 24 of them were aces. It, It wasn't the forehand that was creating easy success For Daniil Medvedev, he struggled when pinned in that forehand corner. I think the two points that epitomize that moment most are the final two points of the match. Seven all in that third set breaker. It's a long 20-plus shot rally. And what does Rublev continue to do? Change direction to the Medvedev forehand. Hit a couple of backhands up the line. Open things up for himself. You know, then when he gets a forehand, goes extreme cross court to draw the Medvedev error. And then what does he do on the match point? 
continues to attack that Medvedev forehand, gets Medvedev crossed over where there's so much open space. He assumed Rublev was going to go to the backhand corner. Rublev doesn't. He goes right back on a swinging volley to the forehand. It's a swinging volley winner. Andre Rublev has won the match. And again, Rublev had seven set points in set number one, was up 5-2 in the set, 6-2 in the first set breaker. He was up 6-3 in the second set breaker. Now, again, only one of those 6-3 set points was on serve. Medvedev hits two good first serves, and then the 6-5 point we'll get back to in a a second that uh, Medvedev is able to win. Same thing. We'll get seven six or 6-7 down. That one's on Medvedev's serve. It's a good first serve to help him win the point. Rublev did not blink. Rublev, yes, he got frustrated, but he didn't get frustrated to the point of losing his level. And again, for Andre Rublev to get this victory, you look for Rublev last season where at the tour finals, he loses to Djokovic in straight sets, loses to Kasparud 7-6 in the third, does get a win over Tsitsipas, but ultimately it was a win that did not matter. Uh, you look for him in 2020, again, gets a win over Dominic Team, but losses to Tsitsipas and Nadal. He gets a first match victory. And that just keeps his hopes alive here to just progress a little bit better past that first uh, here in his third, excuse me, tour finals, past that first group stage. And look for Andre Rublev, 50 and 18 overall here this season. You look for him against top 20 opponents. He's now 7 and 7 overall for the season, 4 and 3 against the top 10, including wins over Djokovic, Felix, Medvedev, and Nori. Andre Rublev also statistically has had a very good year. He's one of just 10 players in the top 50 to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Andre Rublev, 12 quarterfinals. That ranks tied for third most on on the year here this season. Nine quarterfinals tied for second most on the year. Four titles for Rublev. That's tied for the second most on the year here this season. And then, you know, you look for Andre Rublev now, 50 wins here in 2022. Here's a list of players with 50 wins here this season. And this is obvious given he's at the ATP Tour Finals, but Tsitsipas, Alcaraz, Felix, Rublev. Yes, Rublev plays a ton of events. There's no doubt about that, but he also wins a lot at every event that he plays. And yes, he didn't have the best year at the slams. And would he trade his season for Taylor Fritz was a fun hypothetical that I did with Gil Gross a couple of weeks back on the mini break podcast. The answer might be yes. He might take that Indian Wells title over anything else he's accomplished this season. But guess what? He gets this victory. And again, to get back to the physicality, the seven all point, 20 plus shots, the first point of the third set breaker, 20 plus shots. Rublev was not impatient. He knew if he waited long enough, Daniil Medvedev, particularly on the forehand wing, was going to leave something short. And the amount of times those long rallies ended with Rublev snapping a forehand up the line that Medvedev couldn't quite track down or popped up for an easy volley winner. I mean, again, you look at the stats in this match, Andre Rublev, 34 winners overall, 25 of them on that forehand wing. No winners on the backhand side, but only seven unforced errors on that side. 34 winners against 32 unforced errors overall. Medvedev, also 32 unforced errors. And again, from the ground, 25 winners for Rublev to Medvedev's 20. You look for Rublev, 11 of 12 at the net overall. I think the big thing was he made... I'm doing some quick math in my head, uh, 59 of his 97 returns. He made about two-thirds of his 97 returns, you know, a little under that. 
He forced Daniil Medvedev to work. And this is where we get to the flip side of the equation. Medvedev for the match. Four of five at the net. And here's the big stat. You want to know how he fought off two of those match points from 3-6 down in the third set breaker? He fought them off by moving forward. Now, one of them was behind a massive first serve. He had an easy first volley. The second one was the aforementioned 6-5 point, which was one of the rare 20-plus shot rallies that ended up going Daniil Medvedev's way. And how did it end? He had Rublev stretched on the backhand corner. Medvedev hits a backhand slice approach that Rublev wasn't able to do anything with and or was just popped up, excuse me. And then Medvedev an easy smash put away. Two of his four points won at the net came when he was down match point. Hopefully for Daniil Medvedev, the message now moving forward is, wait a second, why am I not doing more of that? Not only in the big moments, but just period throughout the course of the match. And look, Medvedev wasn't broken in the third set. Big picture, you look at the stats, he won 79% of his first serve points, you know, fought off six of the nine break points that he faced, but was not broken ultimately in that third set, fought off the match point, the set points at 5-6, fought off the match points, uh, obviously with a couple of big serves in the breaker. You look for Daniil Medvedev, though, for what it's worth, 4-9 and nine in deciding sets here this season. I think it's because he gets a little bit passive. I think it's because he's playing on the terms of the other player. You look at the people who have beaten him now in third sets, Rublev's, Stans, Kyrgios's, Tsitsipas, even Ugo Umber earlier in the season. Those are big hitters. And yeah, I excluded Djokovic. I excluded Nadal. That's a different category of deciding set, but... He just got a little passive and was too... He thought Rublev was going to miss. He thought Rublev was going to blink. And certainly there were times when Rublev did exactly that. And coming off of that match point, he fought off at 6-5. Medvedev's probably thinking in his head, I got this. But, you know, plays a tentative point on serve at 7-all. Um, and where he's pushed into the back, into the forehand corner. Again, Rublev had him pinned. I already alluded to that 7-all point. And ultimately... That's how Rublev gets through. And, you know, again, for Medvedev, 45 and 17 overall here this season. He won 73% of his matches. He was 9 and 8 still against top 20 opponents. And, you know, 3 and 6 against the top 10, but three of those losses were either to Djokovic or Nadal. Um, That said, you look for him in this post-US Open stretch, a stretch that, again, traditionally he has been exceptional in. And, you know, it started really well in Los Cabos where he wins the title there and beats Nori and, you know, also gets good win over Kasmenovic in the semifinals. But he's 18 and 7 overall in this post-US Open stretch, winning 72% of his – actually, the stats look ridiculous, so I'm not even going to get into them. That said, 18 and 7 for him compared to prior years. You look at for him from August to the end of the season last year, Daniil Medvedev went 31 and 4. You look for him in the post-COVID stretch even back in 2020, Daniil Medvedev 20-6, and and you look for him during this stretch 2019, which of course was really his definitive breakout season where uh, things really started to get going, and actually I'm going to go back to the City Open. I went a week short, excuse me, on my tennis abstract, Daniil Medvedev 29-7 and down the home stretches. So again, home stretches the last four years, wins 81% of his matches in 2019, 77% of his matches in 2020, but you have to remember there was late season clay court action, which usually doesn't happen. 
89% of his late season matches last year. We'll say he's been over 80% the last three years, 72% this season. That's a decline. Statistically, it's been the serve, interestingly, that's fallen off a bit. In particular, his ineffectiveness on second serve points. Players are going big on that second serve swing. They're pushing Daniil Medvedev back, and they're understanding, look, I got to take my chances because I'm not going to beat him grinding it out. And that said, if I am patient, I will have my opportunities that's what Rublev did so well. Again, Medvedev got too tentative, most indicated by his four or five at net points. That said, big picture, it would have been highway robbery for Daniel Medvedev to win this match, and he almost did. And that's just a credit to the competitor that he is and why by no means you can count him out of these tour finals yet. Daniil Medvedev again knocked off three sets by Andre Rublev, a ultimately uh, earning, excuse me, a 6-7, uh, 6-3, 7-6 decision over his fellow Russian. With that said, uh, let's move on to group play match number two. And look, if you're Medvedev, you got three sets, which really is something that might matter in the math moving forward. And that was not the case in our second set as Novak Djokovic was able to pull things out in straight sets. Djokovic, a 6-4, 7-6 win over Stefano Tsitsipas. Look, there's one break of serve in this match. It was Tsitsipas's opening service game. Djokovic broke for two love. He never looked back in the second set. Very clean statistical performance for Novak, and let's get into it quickly. Djokovic, 23 winners against 15 unforced errors. You take out the serves, 21 winners against 13 unforced errors. You compare that to Tsitsipas, 16 winners from the ground against 23 unforced errors. Djokovic was the better player in the extended baseline rallies. Djokovic was somehow even more efficient than Tsitsipas, whether it was serve out wide, first forehand to the backhand, which was the pattern we saw most frequently, or even serve into the body, you know, first forehand to the open space. Djokovic consistently had Tsitsipas playing defense in his service games, and I mean, again, the stats for Novak Djokovic from this match are laughable. There's not a ton to break down. It was a very efficient performance. Made 73% of his first serves, won 80% of his first serve points, 76% of his second serve points. He served 11 service games overall. He dropped 13 points on serve, fought off the one break point chance that he faced in set number two. It's a clean performance for Novak Djokovic. That's why Djokovic is the unequivocal favorite at this event. And Djokovic now 38-7 overall this year, winning 84% of his matches. He and Medvedev, the only players top 10 in both hold and break percentage. And, you know, again, what's most remarkable, I suppose, for Djokovic is given how limited of a schedule he played. He has now seven top 10 wins overall, three of them over Tsitsipas in the past month. But those seven top 10 wins, that ranks tied for second with Tsitsipas and Nadal trailing just Alcaraz and Runa in terms of total top 10 wins. And if Djokovic has a good ATP finals, he might end up the year, A, as the only player in double-digit top 10 wins, but B, with the most top 10 wins, which would just be laughable given how limited of a schedule that he played. With that said, I know that's limited Novak Djokovic analysis. What do you want me to say? He goes up three love, really good defensive point to get the early mini break lead early in the tie break in. Oh, uh, excuse me. He goes up not three, love, because Tsitsipas won the first point of the breaker, waved his hands in the air, tried to get the crowd behind him, and then I think Djokovic ripped off four consecutive points or maybe even five consecutive points from there, and one of them with exceptional athleticism. Yeah, that's how he gets the mini break, and, you know, again, 
yes, Tsitsipas narrowed the deficit, but big plus one, big first volley from Djokovic for 6-4. And again, efficient tennis from Novak from start to finish in this match. You look at, I already went through the stats. Novak, uh, in terms of returns in play, put 42 of his 61 returns in play. He just asked the question of Tsitsipas consistently. That said... On serve, Stefanos looked really good today. And he also, again, you look overall in the match, he hit, what, 11 total service games. Tsitsipas dropped 16 total points in 11 service games. It's pretty darn good. He made 74% of his first serves, fought off or faced just two break points and was not broken after the first game of the match. The problem was the return for Tsitsipas. The backhand, forehand returned. Really, both of them went astray. You look for Tsitsipas. He missed 28 of his 61 returns. So what, put 33 of them in play? You can't miss nearly 50% of your returns in a match. You're just not going to give yourself enough opportunities. And I mean, look, three winners against 12 backhand on four stairs. That actually wasn't the worst for Tsitsipas. I thought his backhand looked fine in rallies. And then I thought his ability to create behind his own first serve, his comfort level hitting that first forehand, 6 of 10 at the net, a little lower than it probably needs to be if he's going to pull off a win against a Novak Djokovic, but he didn't have to hit a lot of volleys because he hit his first forehand so effectively. The weight of that shot, again, you look for Tsitsipas now overall on the season here. Stefanos holding 86.6% of the time. It's a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. Right now, Tsitsipas currently ranks ninth amongst top 50 players. You look for him in terms of first serve win percentage, Stefano Tsitsipas uh, ranks eighth first serve win percentage, maybe even more impressively, Tsitsipas seventh. Uh, Excuse me. He ranks 10th in first serve win percentage, seventh in second serve win percentage. When he's on his front foot, Tsitsipas is elite as an aggressive player. And again, to get to the debate I typically have with Gil Gross about Stefano Tsitsipas and his upside, you know, I my definition of a tier one player is a player I think will win a Grand Slam by January 1st, 2030. Now, tier one for 2023, I view that as a different discussion. I do think I would have Tsitsipas He's no lower than the top of tier. He might be tier one and a half. That's a debate. What tier do you put Pass in heading into 2023 is going on the is uh, is going on the November podcast list. Uh, just so all of you listeners know, leave that in. That's me typing it on the list uh, right now. But I mean, look, his ability to create with the first forehand is elite. I think he's a much better mover than we talk about at least, you know, generally about Tsitsipas. We don't categorize him as an elite mover. I think his ability to get outside the ball when he's hitting a forehand in any position, it just speaks to the strength of his first step. You look at the break percentage, it did take a significant dip after being 21.5 two seasons ago, 25.5 last year, Tsitsipas 20.9%. Now, that is his career average, so he has continued to get better, but I think we all agree the backhand return with more repetition, it's going to get at least 5% better, right? He's not going to be missing 50% of his returns, hopefully, three years from now. If he can get that even 5% better, if he can develop a backhand slice that's a little bit more effective, his forehand, his serve, his ability to move forward, his comfort level at the net, his ability, eagerness, 
and dare I say definitiveness in putting away the overhead, which is tougher to do than you think. These are all tier one traits. And this is not a revelation to say Stefano Tsitsipas has tier one traits. We're glass half full, though, here at Cracked Rackets. I would bet on those tier one t- traits for the 24-year-old. And again, if his back end is 5% better three years from now, he should be contending for and perhaps even winning a Grand Slam title. And I would still put him on my list of players I think are going to win a title here in this decade. Thus, for me, that is my definition of Tier 1. Not Gill's 2023 definition. My Tier 1 definition, will you win a slam by January 1st, 2030? And I think in the case of Stefano Tsitsipas, I still believe the answer to that question is yes. With that said, again, Djokovic, 6-4-7-6, much needed first win straight set victory for Djokovic, just puts him in a very comfortable position moving forward. Again, Medvedev's going to need to not only beat Tsitsipas as well, but probably needs to get at least a set off Novak if he wants to qualify for the semifinals. And no easy task, a tall task, dare I say, for uh, the six foot six Medvedev. With that said, that's your look at Monday's ATP Tour Finals action. Let's quickly end today's show with just a brief preview of these Champagne Challenger happening this week. And again, the three players really still alive in the USTA Australian Open Wildcard Challenge. You play three, four weeks of events. Whoever accumulates the most points out of the out of your best three weeks ultimately earns the USTA's wildcard into the Australian Open main draw. Right now, Ben Shelton's your leader. He's got 160 points, back-to-back victories in Charlottesville, in Knoxville. He's your fourth seed. Again, a very fun match against the talented, big-hitting lefty, Carlos Ozalins. You look in that section of the draw, a couple of veterans, Zeke Clark, who knows these champagne courts as well as anyone, the former Illini All-American. Tough match against the big-hitting former Pepperdine All-American, Sebastian Fanislow in round one. But that's a fun quarter. Stefan Kozlov, who needs these points if he wants to retain his top 150 spot. You look for Kozlov right now, who had a ton of points fall off after he had such a strong ending to last season. Kozlov currently sitting at number 193. He needs a good week here in Champaign to just keep himself in a comfortable position, top 100 in sight entering next season. So keep your eye on Kozlov, who's in that Ben Shelton quarter. That would be a really fun quarterfinal match on Friday. Of course, a couple of veterans will start with Dennis Kudla, Paul Jubb, former NCAA singles champion in his section, Alex Vukic, who top 150 player in the world, former Illinois All-American. He knows the Champaign Courts well. He'll have a home crowd behind him. That'll be a fun section of the draw to watch. Of course, the college goat, Stevie Johnson, he's got an Illini in his section. He's going to face rising junior Hunter Hack. In match number one, Johnson should win that match, but Hunter will is a sneaky good athlete, and he'll handle the explosiveness of Stevie's ball better than you think. Svida's in that section, Escobedo's in that section, but my favorite first-round match might be Alexander Kovacevic, the former Illini All-American, seventh seed here this week. He's taking on Kentucky senior Alafia Aini. Alafia hits a big ball, that big ball into the backhand of Kova. That's going to be fun. 
Chris Eubanks going to take on former Tennessee All-American Adam Walton first round. Tennis Sandgren, who's the other guy really still alive in the race. Eubanks, by the way, back-to-back finals where he's lost to Shelton in Charlottesville, Knoxville. He's 60 points behind Shelton right now. Sandgren had a really good first week, so he's still in the hunt, needs to win and get some help. He's in that section. He's going to take on former Florida State standout Ben Locke. You've got Keegan Smith, another former UCLA standout in that section. Jerry Shang as well, the talented lefty. He could just muck up everyone's Australian Open wildcard plan. So keep an eye on the 17-year-old. And according to the Tennis Abstract forecast, Ben Shelton, back-to-back winners, no surprise. He's a 36.7% favorite to win the event. Then it's the back-to-back finalist, Chris Eubanks, 17-3. Stevie J, 11-5. Dennis Kudla, 10%. Big drop-off after that. Jerry Shang, a little low. 0.2%. Interesting to see where they have things. With that said, that's your look at Champagne. I'm going to go there tomorrow, try and get some interviews for all of you listeners with the players. But hopefully all of you are tuning in to this late or mid-November action as things are still happening here in the pro tennis world. Of course, we'll be here every day to cover all of the action. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Just in case you missed it, over on the Cracked Interviews podcast, Tanner Stump, J.Y. Oban, Fiona Crawley, Brandon Nakashima, Ellen Perez. We've had a lot of fun guests. Go search the Cracked Interviews podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Go give them a listen. I promise you'll enjoy them. Of course, check out the Great Shot podcast feed as well. All of these links available over on our website or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can follow us at Cracked Rackets, or you can follow me directly at A.L. Gruskin. Of course, a shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.